Aloha, this is Ben Pregnow, and you're listening to the weekend teaching from Hope Chapel in Kihei, Maui. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. <laughs> so good to see you. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, you've come at a great time. We're in the very uh, middle uh, of our series, The King of Christmas, where we are uh, basically doing uh, a Bible survey of the Christmas story that started in Genesis chapter 1. And uh, man, it's just so good to be together. <clears throat> and a welcome to those uh, joining us online this morning. But, uh, you know, it's Christmas time, you know, we, we got the tree set up at our house this week. You know, so we're getting, we're getting there. Uh, do you guys have any Christmas traditions, you know, things you kind of do every Christmas? Thing, you know, I know like when I was a kid, we, um, we, we, you know, all the presents, you're so excited, but you were allowed to open just one present on Christmas Eve. And, uh, but, but the catch was you didn't get to pick it. <laughs> you, you know, uh, you, you were handed the present because it was always the same thing. Do you remember that? What was it? Pajamas or socks. Yeah, it was pajamas for us, you know. But uh, this would happen for uh, me growing up every year at my grandparents' house. Every year we'd go to my grandpa and grandma's for Christmas, and it was just so exciting. I got this vintage picture here. This is me and my sister and grandpa and grandma, and it was, and, and it was always about the gifts, you know, when you're a kid, right? And, and I don't know if you can see this, but I'm holding... This came out in 1983, a walkie-talkie. Do you remember those? I, I got a close-up here because this is a good lesson. This is uh, for you young people. Before there was iPhones, <laughs> we had walkie-talkies, and these things had like a 60-foot range to communicate, you know. And they had a little Morse code button, you know. You could send messages. But, you know, Grandma would make all of our favorite foods, like the Jam Jam cookies and the pumpkin roll and... And we grew up in Canada, we're of Ukrainian descent, the pierogies, my, my grandmother's pierogies, man. And so uh, the thing about Christmas in Canada, and we, you know, we could think about adopting this, this is a, it's a great thing. We extend the celebration another day. We take another day off Christmas, it's called Boxing Day. You guys know what Boxing Day is? You know, it's in the Commonwealth countries, and you know, it actually started out as, as kind of an honorable thing, as, as a day to give gifts to the poor. And uh, like here, uh, it's just turned into this mayhem, just like Black Friday. And so this is a picture of the, of the mall on Boxing Day in Canada. <laughs> and it's just, uh, here's the thing. Uh, if you didn't get the present you really wanted on Christmas, you just go shopping for it the day after Christmas. And it's called Boxing Day. And so for so many people, when they think of preparing for Christmas, they, they think of the gifts and the, buying the perfect gift, catching the sale. Well, as I grew older, you know, preparing for family visits became more and more important. And uh, just this last week, our boys turned 16 years old. And yeah, I, I, I know what you're thinking. I look way too young to have 16-year-olds, but... Um, <laughs> But so Luke and Zach were born the very end of November, and I remember that first month with twins. That was a big adjustment, you know. 
And so uh, what we told our family is like, hey, I think we need some time to figure this out, but come visit us right after Christmas. Yeah. And so we weren't going to go to grandpa and grandma's. They were going to come to us with my family. And we were so excited for them to meet the boys. They'd just been born. And then shortly before Christmas, we got the call that, that my grandmother wasn't feeling well. And so she went to the hospital and... I remember talking to her, she says, don't worry, we still got our airfare, we, we're going to come see you guys, and, and then we found out it was cancer, and then it turned out to be a lot more aggressive than, than we knew or understood, and then on Christmas Eve, she passed away. She never got to meet Luke and Zach. I remember holding the boys, just so sad, just shocked, numb, it's Christmas time, and we're not going to have the family visit. I think Christmas, like no other season or holiday, brings about just the biggest contrast of emotion and feeling. I mean, from just the, the childhood excitement to a dark place of just grief. You know, for some, it can feel impossible to to think of how they could even celebrate Christmas with just the heartbreak, the tragedies, the hard things of life. You know, the true and real Christmas story is, is actually what we need because it's, it's the only way that we can find hope. It's not found in the circumstances, but in the person and coming of Jesus Christ. And, you know, throughout the Christmas story, we learn one of the most repeated lessons throughout the Bible. It's because Christ came on the first Christmas that no matter the circumstances in your life, you can possess a hope that can never be taken away from you. And so this promised king, who from the moment that, that mankind turned their back on God, already had a plan to come to us in our darkness. And this was prophesied about for more than 700 years. And I love how Kyle set this up at the beginning of our series, saying, nothing in this world, no material thing can truly satisfy our hearts or meet our greatest need. You see, what we celebrate at Christmas is that Jesus came to bring something everlasting. And so at Christmas, we celebrate this coming of our King this fulfillment of a promise that Jesus came to be the King of kings and Lord of lords, to conquer sin and death, to defeat evil and Satan, a mighty king that will make all things right. And as we wait and trust in the promises of God, give us hope, peace, joy, despite our circumstances, Shalom is the, is the term that we've been studying the last few, work, few weeks. It's wholeness, wholeness. Because we all understand and feel the reality of just life on this earth. The effects of sin, aging, sickness, pain, suffering, loss. And at Christmas time, these realities can be magnified. And so as we head into Christmas, and maybe for some it's the first time without a loved one or a close friend. Some of us experiencing deep loneliness, 
You know, I'm so glad that if that's you, you're here right now. And that Jesus came that we wouldn't be alone in the darkness, that we have a friend that's closer than a brother. And he did come to save us from our sins, to give us a hope, to carry us through these struggles and tragedies that we can possess peace and joy as we hold on to the promises of God. And so in this series, The King of Christmas, we started with the, with the promise of the king, and that's from the moment in Genesis chapter 1 of the fall of mankind God already had a plan in place to send Jesus to this earth. And then last week, we looked at the prophecies of the king. For more than 700 years, this coming king was prophesied about. And this is one of the most well-known prophecies we studied last week from Isaiah 9, 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. You see, the guidance and the direction that you and I need in our life, the love and acceptance that we yearn for, the peace and the wholeness that we were created for and long for, the power and strength we need to make it through the difficulties in life is all found in our Savior King. And so from the beginning promise, we've read from Genesis, the 700 years of prophecy. And you know that there's 351 prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming King that then when you read the New Testament, that Jesus fulfilled each and every one of those prophecies. I mean, it's incredible. If you've never looked into these fulfilled prophecies, and you would like to, I have a chart of every prophecy, 351, their Old Testament reference, and then the New Testament fulfillment of that prophecy that Jesus did. And if you want to do a real good Bible study, write this down. Email hope at hopechapelmaui.com, and we'll send you a free copy if you've never looked into these fulfilled prophecies, man, this is something that will encourage you in your faith. But that first Christmas morning was anticipated. Man, it was longed for and it was waited for by God's people for a very, very long time. I mean, God's people were growing weary, waiting. I mean, have you ever grown weary, waiting on God for something? And today, we will look at the preparation for the king. I mean, in what kind of circumstances did our king come? And, and how did God choose to prepare his people for his coming? And what does it mean for us today as we prepare our hearts in this Christmas season? The very last words of the very last book of the Old Testament is a prophecy about the coming king. And it's found in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, and it says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Meaning that unless Jesus comes, everyone, you and I, we're in big trouble. 
And so for almost 15 centuries, God was speaking both through his world and through his word and the prophets. And now the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, closes with this prophecy, and then there's silence. You know, on radio or TV or media, there's a term called dead air. Dead air is that unintended period of silence that interrupts a broadcast. You know, there's no audio, there's no video being transmitted. I mean, don't you hate it when you're just trying to stream something on your phone or your computer and then the screen just goes black, no audio, you know, no, no, no video, it's a black screen, it could be human error, it could be a technical malfunction, no sound, no video, I don't know. But when you open your Bible and, and you find that there's 39 books in the Old Testament and there's these 351 prophecies pointing to the coming king, and then if you have your Bible right now, just check this out, is there a little kind of blank page with maybe just not much writing between the Old Testament and the New Testament? You know, there's that one page. That page represents dead air for 400 years. No prophets, no further revelation from God, 400-year time span where nothing new is revealed from heaven. I mean, if you get worried because you haven't heard from God lately, imagine 400 years. And so in your Bible, when you go from the last chapter of Malachi to the first chapter in the New Testament, Matthew, which is chapter one, the genealogy of Jesus, that blank page in your Bible between the Old Testament and New Testament represents these 400 years of dead air. It's known as the intertestamental period, that time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But you know what happened in those 400 years? A lot. A lot changed for God's people. At the beginning of 400 years, they were ruled by the Persians. At the end of the 400 years, they were ruled by the Romans. And there was two other kingdoms that came and conquered and ruled and then fell in that time period. The Maccabean Revolt, which established the tradition, a Jewish tradition of Hanukkah, happened in that 400-year period. The whole language base of the known world changed as Hebrew is fading and now everyone speaks Greek. You know, in the Old Testament, we only read about priests and prophets. You get to the New Testament, we read about these Pharisees and these scribes. That all happened in that 400 years. And you know, the Pharisees started out as pretty honorable, just really devoted to the law of God and commenting on the law of God. And then over 400 years, it became hard, rigid, external legalism. And then the Sadducees in those 400 years became liberal. They stopped believing in the Old Testament, except for the first five books of the Bible. They stopped believing in the supernatural hand of God, and they denied the resurrection. And then God's people are scattered all over. And in that 400 years, with Rome now ruling, there was forced peace, 250,000 miles of roads, and now synagogues in nearly every city. And so I just think about this scene for a second, this last prophecy, 700 years of promises from God, 400 years of silence. Behold, 
I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their father. And then 400 years of silence. God stopped speaking. What happened? God was working. He was preparing the world for his coming. 400 years from this last prophecy, and by the time we get to the New Testament, we have the gospel in the most precise language ever, Greek. We have 250,000 miles of roads for people to travel upon in relative peace. The Jewish people are scattered in their synagogues in practically every city where Romans tells us the gospel goes first to the Jews and then the Gentiles. People overall are tired of the Roman oppression and they're tired of the Greek secular culture that's just so empty. The world is now ready for the coming king and the gospel message. And that's precisely what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. When the time was perfect, God sent his son. 700 years plus of prophecy about the coming king. 400 years of silence, dead air, waiting, God working through world events in history. I love how Jan Darby put it. God's ways are behind the scenes, but he moves all the scenes that he's behind. God's behind the scenes, setting this up, working everything out according to his plan and purpose. Are you guys ready for a Bible study? Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, open the Bible app, and let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and as we've gathered here this morning, we ask that you'd come, Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. Touch each heart as we've taken this time to worship, Lord, to study your word, that you'd give each heart a fresh revelation of your love, your truth. God, the areas of our lives where we need a change, would you bring your conviction? God, for the burdens, the loss, the grief that we carry, would you bring your comfort? And would you give us one heart and one mind as your people, that Jesus, you would be lifted up, honored and glorified in this place, we ask. In Christ's name, amen. So the final words of the Old Testament speak of this coming one who would prepare the way of the Lord. And in the book of Luke, the very first chap chapter is this report Gabriel, the angel's announcement of the birth of John to Zechariah, which we're going to study. And so let's read this whole passage together, and then we'll go back and break it down. It starts like this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commands and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot 
to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. Fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You'll call his name John, and you'll have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. The people were waiting for Zechariah. They were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. These events shatter a silence which lasted for 400 years. And it's this angelic announcement from Gabriel to Zechariah, this elderly priest who's got an elderly wife that's barren, that's given this message that they will have a son who will come in the spirit of Elijah the prophet and turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and will prepare the way of the Lord. And next week, we will look at the birth announcement of Christ, but there's a parallel here in Luke between these two birth announcements of John the Baptist and Jesus and the meeting between the two mothers and Mary and Elizabeth, which is this link in these two birth stories where we see God's plan unfolding before our very eyes. So let's go back to verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah at the division of Abijan. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commands and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. You know, the, the days of Herod were not great days for the Jewish people. 
Prophecy had ceased, God's silent for 400 years. They're under this oppressive government. People are growing tired and discouraged, waiting for the promise of the coming king. Herod was on the throne from 37 to 4 BC, and he held on to power by murdering numerous family members over the years, including his own son just five days before his own death. This is the same guy who ordered the extermination of all male babies under the age of two in his attempt to kill Jesus, the one born king of the Jews. And so Herod's rule followed 400 years of silence. So how about don't hear from God for 400 years and then live under this oppressive government? And so the Jewish religion in Israel was becoming corrupted. The Sanhedrin vied for power. They made a healthy profit in the business of selling animals for sacrifice in the temples. But there were a few honorable priests that walked humbly before God, like Zechariah. But it's a bleak situation, spiritually and morally. And it's near the end of this evil reign that heaven speaks for the first time in 400 years with this message to Zechariah. It says they walked with God and took their faith seriously. They come from an unnamed village in the hill country of Judea. Just, I mean, these are obscure and ordinary people. Have you guys been enjoying this daily reading in this Advent, The Joy to the World? Have you guys got your copy? We still have some out there in the courtyard, and, and it's a gift to you. It will bless you. I've been so encouraged by these just short daily readings and meditations from Scripture on this Advent season. And, and I love how it said it the other day in this book. It says, God is a big God for ordinary people. God's a big God for ordinary people. And we see this here. We see this throughout Scripture, that God uses ordinary and insignificant people in the eyes of the world to accomplish his will. It says they had no children. In this context, this wasn't a lifestyle decision that they had made. In fact, it was the source of their greatest pain and heartbreak. And maybe some of you are experiencing this right now the pain of infertility, and, and at that time, it was considered a, a, a God's judgment for your sin, or, or you weren't receiving the blessings of God, but it says they were devoted to God, but everyone else thought they'd done something wrong, so you can imagine living in that culture all of those years, carrying that heartbreak, and then having everyone else judge you. And now it says that they've reached the point where the dream of children of their own is dead. You know what's crazy? The meaning of their names. <laughs> Zechariah means Jehovah has remembered. And Elizabeth means my God is an oath. And she's barren. Beyond childbearing age like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Samson's mothers, all these women in the Bible past child rearing age, which then always points to the coming events and the supernatural hand of God. It says this priest and his wife prayed and served God. You know, so they prayed and served God in spite of this discouragement, in spite of this heartbreak of not having a son. 
This is a great reminder and example for us that you need to be faithful. I mean, you never know when God's angel is going to arrive. I mean, what do we see over and over in the Bible? Why do God's people wait? What is the purpose of waiting? God's preparing his people. God's protecting his people. God is working out his big picture plans. So I don't know what you may be waiting for this morning, but you got to know that God is preparing you. God is protecting you, and he is working out his big picture plans in your life. His ways are higher, his thoughts are higher, his perspective is higher than ours. But I mean, what prayers have you prayed to you continue to pray that seem to be met with silence? What circumstances are you facing that you pray will change? And be encouraged by the Christmas account, to stay faithful in prayer, to stay faithful in your service. I mean, what's going on when you're waiting in this this season of waiting? What is God doing? He's preparing us for the breakthrough. You see, while you wait for a breakthrough, God's working not only on you, he's working for your good. You know, a priest could only marry a woman of pure Jewish lineage, and it's noted that Elizabeth is a descendant of Aaron, but you need to understand at this time, There's probably up to 24,000 priests. Zechariah is a priest just because of his lineage. And why all these random details in the story? Because God is the one who chooses his people for his purposes. He uses his delayed answer to prayer to Zechariah and Elizabeth to bring glory to himself and to demonstrate his grace to Zechariah and Elizabeth and to all people. To accomplish his eternal plan. And, And the deeper that you look into God's word, you see this everywhere, that God is working through the events of the world, he's working through people, and it's all for his glory and to deliver his grace to his people. It says, now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the whole magnitude of the people were praying outside of the hour of incense, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Twice a year, Zechariah would leave home for a week when his division served at the temple. I mean, kind of similar maybe to being in the reserves today. He belonged to this division, do the math, if there was maybe around 24,000 priests, 24 divisions, 1,000 there, and and every direct descendant of Aaron was automatically a priest, and and so all of them only served at Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, and so out of the 1,000 in his division, his lot fell to burn the incense. It's like a lottery, one out of 1,000. And so before the morning and evening sacrifice, the incense was burnt, the altar of incense, and it was there that the sacrifices would go up to God. And it would be like a, a picture of the prayers of God's people, a, a sweet-smelling incense to the Lord. You can read more about it in Exodus chapter 30. But it was the providence of God that Zechariah was chosen to burn the incense, that his lot was chosen. I mean, this ministry... 
was like once in a lifetime. And it's quite possible that many priests never got picked their entire life. You know, throughout the Bible, and in our lives today, we see both what we call the, the supernatural hand of God, and we see the providential hand of God. See, the providential hand of God, providence means that God moves ordinary events and he strings them together perfectly so that his will will be done. It's like, well, we make our plans, it says it's God who determines and establishes, directs our steps. Through what appears to be ordinary things, ordinary events, the comings and goings of life and people, relationships, we can look back on our life and go, wow, that was God. One day in the early 90s, Craig Englert, our founding pastor, you know, he was a real windsurfer and surfer, and, and every once in a while you get the right winds in North Kihei, and so you'll see all the, today, now the kite surfers and the sailboarders in North Kihei, and they'll launch from there, and the wind was ripping. He went down to the beach, he rigged up all of his gear. Just before he's about to go out and sail, the wind just dies. Hmm. Well, Lord, what, what, what's the plan for today? So he begins to walk down the beach and he hears this voice, Pastor Craig, Pastor Craig. It was Kit Lauer. Kit Lauer, one of our pastors for many, many years. Oh, Pastor Craig, you know, we've been over here, you know, we've gone up and down, up and down, and you know, our, my walk with the Lord, same thing, up and down, up and down. We started going to your church, you know, he kind of pours out his whole heart to Craig and then Craig just looks and says, Kit, you gotta make a decision. It's like there's a line drawn in the sand. Are you going to serve God, commit all your life to God or not? And it was at that moment that Kit went all in for the Lord. Started serving. Took over the Friday night service. Went back to school, got his PhD in philosophy and apologetics. Was teaching classes here at Hope Chapel, evangelizing. And then he mentored me for seven years until the day the Lord called him home after his battle with leukemia. And then I think about, how did I get to work for Kit? Do you remember when the Outback Steakhouse opened? I sure miss the Outback. <laughs> when the Outback opened, there was a line out the door in Kihei every night. Kit and Shelly had a table. We were in line, and they saw us through the window, and they're like, hey, we haven't ordered yet. Come sit down. So we're having dinner at the Outback Steakhouse, and then Kit just looked at me. He's like, you should work for me. And so far, my resume was intern reject, night cleaner, bookstore, coffee shop, volunteer, receptionist. And I said, yeah. And then for seven years, he mentored me, discipled me. I think, how did I even get here? I grew up in Canada. I didn't see the ocean until I was 17 years old. But I was reading Surfer Magazine. And I dreamed of coming to Hawaii and learning how to surf. And so... Me and seven other friends on spring break went to Waikiki. We all stayed in this little youth hostel. Funny story, I had an intern many years ago here at Hope Chapel who was a big fan of Dog the Bounty Hunter. You know, remember that show? I'd never seen it before and we're watching and Dog turns to the camera, he's like, this is where all the criminals hang out and then the camera panned and I'm like, that's where we stayed! That was the youth hostel we stayed in, you know? And so my first day in Hawaii, we stay at this hostel. I want to go to a surf shop. I walk down the street to the first surf shop I can find, and I met a, I met a guy working at the surf sh shop named Ben. 
and Ben has turned into a lifelong friend. He was a worship leader at Hope Chapel Hawaii Kai. He took me and my seven friends in for three weeks, and then eight months later, I found myself at Hope Chapel Maui. See, it's the providential hand of God directing ordinary circumstances of life. I mean, think about your life. Where do you see the providential hand of God, the way he's led you, provided for you, protected you through the ordinary circumstances, comings and goings of life? You see, what many people would call chance or luck, the believer in Christ knows, is the providential hand of God. And it was the providence of God that Zechariah is chosen by lottery to burn the incense and one can only imagine the feelings which Zachariah must have experienced. I mean, just elated. I can't believe I was chosen. The privilege, the honor to serve and burn the incense in the hour of prayer in the morning and the evening. But you know what? He was probably also a little bit terrified. Because he knew how serious of a deal this was. And he remembers Leviticus chapter 10, which records two sons of Aaron being struck dead by the angel of death for performing the ritual in the wrong manner. So I'm sure he's probably rehearsing in his mind how this is gonna go. And so on the day of his duty, he goes into that holy place to burn the incense and there's outside the crowd of the people praying, which is the picture of the incense of prayers going up to God and their main prayer is for the fulfillment of this coming Messiah that after over 700 years of prophecy and now this you know, 400 years of silence that, that heaven would speak again and that the king would come and I'm sure they're also praying or he's telling them, man, pray for my safety, I'd like to make it back out. And so he's picked by the providential hand of God and then we see the supernatural hand of God. And the angel of the Lord, it says, appears to him. You know, angels are mentioned 23 times in the book of Luke, but only two in all of Scripture were given their names, Gabriel and Michael. It says on the right side of the altar, which was the favored side, he's there, he's about to perform the burning of incense, and this angel appears. 400 years of prophetic silence and then words from heaven. Look at verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you'll have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord, what? A people prepared. And so this incense offering pictured by the prayers of God's people rising up is this pleasing aroma and the priest is offering this incense in the holy place and the people outside are, are praying and lifting their prayers to God and this angel appears. Says, Zechariah, you're gonna, you're gonna have a son. And this is no ordinary son. This is the son that's been predicted by Malachi. And I'm pretty sure 
that this was the last thing Zechariah expected when he got picked to burn the incense. His initial response is he's troubled, he's fearful. I think you and I would be too. And so how gracious a word from the Lord's angel says, don't be afraid, your prayer has been heard. And this prayer is answered in so much greater way than he would ever dream. He says, you're going to have a son. You're going to call him John. You know, John means the grace of God. And then he's given this revelation. He's going to be called John. He's going to be a Nazarite. He's going to serve as the Messiah's forerunner. I mean, John the Baptist will be the one to proclaim, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. A Nazarite, we learn from Numbers chapter 6, was someone dedicated to God, and so they never touched a dead person, they didn't drink any alcohol, they never cut their hair, but the meaning and the purpose was one who is completely set apart for God's special service and says he'll go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah, turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and children's to the father. You know, Elijah is considered one of the most important prophets of the Old Testament, and probably one of the most memorable. I mean, some of you Bible students will remember the showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, right? I mean, he's calling down fire from heaven. And then Elijah's departure to heaven himself, it says he's walking with Elisha, and a chariot of fire from heaven appears and separates the two of them, and then it says Elijah just goes up to heaven in a whirlwind. This is First and Second Kings. In Matthew chapter 17, after the transfiguration, the three disciples, it says, saw Moses and Elijah in a vision, and then they asked Jesus, uh, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus explains that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of the Elijah prophecy. Elijah mentioned 30 times in the New Testament, 10 relating him to John the Baptist. It's explicitly clear in the Bible that this is a direct fulfillment of the last prophecy given to God's people 400 years earlier. That he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. James chapter 5, 17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. It's quite possible that Zachariah and Elizabeth had been praying for 40 plus years for a child and nothing happened. And now they're too old to have children and the angel's saying, your prayer has been heard. I love what this old Bible commentator said, when we pray, we're confessing our inability and reaching up to claim his ability. We're inviting God into the processes and the problems of our lives and we're reaching out to lay hold on a power that we do not possess. Prayer is one of the primary ways that God prepares his people. And Zechariah and Elizabeth had been, been prepared by God for 40 plus years in prayer. And the trials and the tests in our lives 
are the same opportunities to trust God in prayer. Whether God's going to answer through his providential hand in the ordinary circumstances of life or his supernatural hand, everything according to his will. And so the people of God are just called to pray. But here's the thing. Sometimes you can pray for something for so long and not hear from God. When God answers, you're not ready. Anyone have that happen to you? Verse 18 and 19. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this Good news. You know, this statement by Gabriel is very significant, and it's the same language used throughout the New Testament to describe the apostles and apostolic authority. So Gabriel is literally saying, I am an apostle commissioned and sent by the authority of God himself so that the word I'm proclaiming to you here, Zechariah, is just my message. It's God's word. And it's a deliberate contrast between the words and the thoughts and the feelings of man and the power of God's word. And so it's as if Gabriel said, you may be an old man, your wife may be too old to conceive, but I'm no less than Gabriel the angel who stands in God's presence and speaks to you God's word. You see, it's the word of God that overcomes any word or work of man. You know, maybe you grew up and things were spoken over your life that were more like curses. Maybe you believe things about your life or yourself that aren't of God. We always want to bring back to alignment our heart, our thoughts, our feelings, even filter the words that are spoken to us according to the word of God, which is greater than any word or work of man greater than our own thoughts. I love how Matthew Henry says this. We can depend on God to fulfill his promise even when all the roads leading to it are closed. And so anytime our thoughts, our words, our feelings don't align with God's word, we need this reminder. I mean, what unbelief do you struggle with? What do you have a hard time believing God for? Take those things to the word of God in prayer. What does God say? This is one of the many reasons the Lord himself tells us in, in his prayer, give us this day our daily bread. We need a daily renewing of the mind to filter out the messages, the thoughts, and the words that have been spoken to us that are not of God. Because we all struggle with unbelief in areas of our lives. In one minute, you know, one minute, I can feel so strong in the faith, and the next, I can be just like Zachariah in this moment of unbelief. But you know, in all of this, we learn a very important lesson, and it's this. The size of your faith does not determine the size of God's response. Aren't you glad? I mean, Zach's like, how can this be? I'm old, and so is my wife. And the angel's like, not only are you going to have a child, this child's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb, great before the Lord, and the fulfillment of the very last prophecy given 400 years ago. I mean, Luke chapter 7 says, among those born of women, there's no greater prophet than John the Baptist. 
Verse 20, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. You got to think about this for a second. The people probably were familiar also with Leviticus chapter 10 when the two sons didn't come out after the hour of incense. They're waiting for Zechariah, wondering about his delay from the holy place. And when he came out, he was unable to speak, and they realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home, and after these days, it says, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. You know, Gabriel, one of only two angels that's given to us a name in the Bible, his name means mighty God. Michael, the angel, is the super kind of war angel, but Gabriel is the angel of God's number one messenger, and only a handful of times does Gabriel deliver a message from God to a human being. The last time he did was 500 years earlier to the prophet Daniel. And then he gives this message to Zechariah. And so anytime Gabriel shows up and <laughs> delivers a message, it's a big deal. And Zechariah, being a priest, would have been very familiar with who Gabriel is from the book of Daniel. And so Gabriel's saying, how can this be? Pardon me? You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. You didn't believe what God has spoken, so you're not going to be able to tell anybody about this until it's happened. And so, of course, I mean, you can imagine the excitement he's going to have a son, but even greater excitement that this son is the forerunner of the coming king. And there's another important lesson here for us, that God is sovereign. That means God is in control, and he will work his plan, and God's plans do not rise or fall on the faith of men. What changes isn't the plan. What changes is your part in the unfolding of the plan. Faithless people cannot change God's plans and purposes. They just forfeit the blessedness of being able to be used of God. Gabriel tells Zechariah, hey, it's going to come to pass, but you're going to be mute. You're not going to be the messenger And in essence, the saying, Zechariah, it's really too bad. You won't be able to be a part of the proclamation of this great, great coming of the king. And so upon leaving the temple, Zechariah is unable to even pronounce the priestly blessing. But the crowd can tell that something's happened, that he's seen some kind of vision. I imagine this is kind of the first biblical account of the game of charades, you know. Second Corinthians 4.13 says, It is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. Psalm 116 says, With that same spirit of faith, we believe and also speak. And it's interesting, the father of him who would be called the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness is struck without speech for his unbelief. Commenting on this, Passage, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, for the Lord will never employ unbelieving messengers. 
Unbelief produces silence, but faith opens up your mouth in praise and testimony to God. I mean, and can you imagine just for a moment what it must have been like for Elizabeth when she's pregnant? And I love this too. I mean, I don't want to get too deep into it, but it says, after these things have happened, Elizabeth conceives, and he struck mute. So it's like, yeah, honey, you know. And then it says in verse 24, she's in seclusion for, for five months. We don't know exactly why, but most Bible commentators believe it's just to meditate and prepare her heart before God for the fulfillment of all these prayers and the angel's prophecy of the one who's to come. Could be, too, that she's just waiting until she showed more, because certainly her husband could not help explaining what's going on. (laughs) Zechariah couldn't speak at all for these months. And then when you skip down to verse 60, it says, eight days after the baby's born, it came time to name him. And everyone's like, hey, we're going to name him Zachariah after, you know, his father. And then Elizabeth's like, no, no, John. And so like, what? Not naming after dad? And so then they look at Zachariah and he writes out, yes, he's got to be called John. You know, and then it says he's given his voice back. He's finally able to speak. And the first words out of his mouth are praise to God. And then Verse 67 through 80 of Luke chapter 1 is this most amazing poetic prophecy spoken by Zechariah. See, Christmas is the reminder that through the hardships, the trials, the tribulations, the darkness, maybe not hearing from God for a very long time, that God is working his plan and his purpose. That his timing and his plan are perfect. That God doesn't often act when we want, but his timing is perfect and he's using all things to prepare his people. Why are you waiting? He's preparing you. He's protecting you. And he's working out his big picture plans in your life. And even when we are faithless, it says he remains faithful. But that next right step of obedience to the Lord will give you the blessing of participating in God's plan. So don't miss out. Don't miss out. But God is going to complete the good work that he has established in your life. And because we know all of this, the word of God to be true, let's not miss an opportunity to share this good news this Christmas. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. That your word is true, that your promises will come true. And so help us, God, in the areas of our unbelief Encourage your people, God. And maybe for the first time, you're understanding God's plan, his love for you, but your great need for him. You see, this walk, this faith just begins with nothing that you could do but what God has already done for you in sending his son Christ to this earth to live the perfect life and to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin on the cross of Christ. 
that it says, if you'd confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you've not yet done that, I can't think of a better thing this morning for you to invite Christ into your life. You can pray a simple prayer, whether that's out loud or from your heart and mind. God knows, Jesus, I need you in my life. Go ahead, do that. Jesus, I need you in my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Please forgive me. Today, I invite you to come in to my life to be my Lord and my Savior. Jesus came to this earth to save us from our sins, to deliver onto us a hope, Lord, a, a peace, a joy that can never be taken away from life's circumstances. And God, as we are getting pretty close to this Christmas day and the season the next couple weeks, use us, God, like never before, to be your people, to share this good news to have fresh eyes as we sing these Christmas songs and we read the first account of your coming to just have greater awe and worship, Lord, joy as we absorb the truth and the power that you came to this earth, humbled yourself to restore this right relationship that we can enjoy with you. And so, God, I ask your blessing upon each one and use us, Lord, to share this good news with our friends, our family, our neighbors, this community and world, we ask. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We'd love to connect with you. Visit us at HopeChapelMaui.com and let us know any way we may be able to serve you. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at HopeChapelMaui Stay up to date with all the latest. God bless you.